You're listening to Learning Capacity with Colin Klupik. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience programs since 1999. If you'd like to know more about individualised language and reading programs for your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And you can comment on this podcast by sending us an email. We'd love to know what you think. Send it to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. Startup businesses in the edtech space seem to be appearing everywhere. Most of us might think of a new learning app or some web-based learning system that many schools are adopting. Monica Wolf regularly meets the people behind the scenes of these new technologies in her work at Startup Muster, which is a kind of bureau of statistics for startups. It may come as a surprise, but Australia is thriving with startups, with a large proportion of founders having a background in education and developing for education. On one hand, this is really uncharted territory, but on another, it represents incredible opportunity both for businesses and for learners who previously have not had access to quality education. In this episode, Monica sheds light on this emerging space. Monica, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. You work for what most people might think is a little bit of an unusual organization called Startup Muster. Can you just briefly run us through what you actually do? Yeah, so Startup Muster is the largest and most comprehensive survey of Australian startups. And what we do is we annually survey the startup ecosystem and get to understand the progress, challenges and opportunities um, that is facing what startups are facing in Australia at the moment. Um, I kind of coin us a little bit like the Bureau of Statistics for Startups. Um, and these estimates we collate and we put into a big report and um, we encourage the outputs to be used by industry, government and um, startups themselves when looking to understand what's going on and, and how they can better their business or make policy decisions. Uh, it's also a strong indicator to overseas about what is going on in Australia. I guess some people might be thinking, oh, startup, that means um, crazy teenagers uh, living a fairly relaxed kind of life, uh, don't have an honest job and are just sort of working away at the fringe of society. Uh, you know, I'm thinking back to the the film The Social yeah. Network, just a bunch of geeks who happen to be pretty clever at something. But w- what we're talking about here is uh, seriously educated young people making a, a very serious start at something. Exactly. And I can tell you there's nothing relaxed about it. Um, <laughs> there, we commonly have this graph that we all look at and it's, and it's your emotional um, development throughout the day and it's just consistently highs and lows. Um, so there's absolutely, if you're lazy, if you're not resilient, and if you're thinking about just making money, um, startups are probably not your best bet. Um, but yeah, so you look at the report, you see most of them are, are highly educated. They um, they have come from um, various different industries. So you know, there's 13% of our of the sample last year had a background in education, um, and there are various reasons as to why they've decided to pursue a startup. Now, something else I noticed in, in your report was over the last few years, there's been a small but steady rise in females in startups. Is that because, do you think, females or girls in particular just have been shunned from that industry or never been encouraged to be involved in startups? What do you think is driving that now? I think there was a little bit of the perception issue that did come out of um, you know mainstream media about what, what the coder guy looks like and what the startup guy looks like, and it's all swag shirts and things like that. Um, but what I think there was also a, a slight component of it was that 
um, potentially that led to women not really identifying themselves as founders themselves or as, you know, it's, it's always, oh, I run this business, I run that business. And now as we're seeing um, a greater presence of women that are running tech companies, that are founding tech companies, um, that are in very high roles within tech companies, they're starting to go, okay, well, no, I can, I can, um, I can identify with that. And, oh, actually, I, that is what I'm doing. I, I am running, I'm a founder of a startup. Um, so there's those kind of um, outcomes as well. What we're also seeing is an increase in um, a desire to have more women engaging in this space and having more women even doing things like being on boards or, you know, there's been a strong emphasis on gender equality across the board, whether it be startups or mainstream um, mainstream work. And um, I think the opportunities are, are getting are presenting themselves more for women founders. So Blue Chili um, last week announced that they have an accelerator program called She Starts. They're going to choose um, 10, 10 female founders in their startups, giving them $100,000 um, capital to help develop their, their concept and their idea, and they're going to help guide them through it as well. Um, then you've, you know, a couple of years ago, Springboard Enterprises came to Australia. That's a U.S.-based um, uh, female accelerator, uh, very, very high-skilled, um, very not so much startup, but more coming towards exiting startup and really making a presence in the industry that they're in. Um, so I think the opportunities are there um, and are more easily attainable. There's um, a certain Facebook group that I belong to, which I can't say the name of because it has a swear word in it, but it's all about um, it's all about female founders and helping women within their businesses. And there's no barriers to entry. It's a Facebook group. They meet once a week, uh, once a month, and everyone just gets together, has a drink, and has a good chat. But it's creating those, um, you know, those safe circles as well as building the awareness within the general populace that this that women being in tech shouldn't be something that surprises people. It should just be the norm. How are the men faring up with this? Are they uh, concerned about women encroaching on their space? God, no. I mean, it's like, it's kind of silly. We we shouldn't be creating these silos. Right now, our biggest issue in Australia for startups is the lack of tech talent. If we can increase the amount of tech talent, irrespective of gender, um, everyone's benefiting. So... Um, they're really, you know, there's more than anything, there's an unconscious bias that needs to be addressed and that will be addressed through education and through movements, movements throughout our generations. Um, but no, I can guarantee you all the guys that I know would love to have more women in their world. Um, <laughs> well, that's good news. But, oh, yeah, I mean, it's like, um, and you, guys, you know, it's, it's also an, a networking industry for them as well. And... Um, you know, they, it's hard enough being a founder than to also have some kind of stigma around around gender. So we all kind of get together and we are, we all help each other out irrespective of, um, of yeah, what sex you are. Well, I know it's – look, it's a controversial issue, and but I think it needs – it's one that needs to be spoken about openly. And, and uh, you know, if you think back to the uh, – over the last 50 years, it's it's been a tough run for, for women to find equality in the workplace and so forth. And and I guess the the, the tech startup space is, it, well, in, one, in some sense, it, it really is the Wild West because nobody knows what idea is going to come out tomorrow. And so I guess all of those traditional boundaries really, they don't have any value at all anymore. They really don't. I mean, um, 
it's, it's, it is fantastic that there are more um, there are more opportunities for women, and I think that that's great to create the groundswell and the interest and so forth. But moving on, you know, um, if you're standing in front of a VC firm, it really shouldn't matter if you're a woman or a man. And what what they're looking for, and what everyone should be looking for, is as the team, how valuable are they? What is what are they what are they able to create as a team? Because you can give a really good team a terrible product and they will build it into something amazing. You can give a um a really terrible team a fantastic product and they will run it into the ground. So it it has to be more about the skill sets and the mindset of the founding team rather than just, oh okay, yes it's great that there's a woman in the team or oh, you know, it's only guys so we can trust that kind of thing. Um it's really all about skills development, and that's where the education piece comes into it so strongly um, because we're needing to build skills and educate not just our current workforce but also our children in um, in areas that will help them succeed in life later on down the track. And a lot of that is, you know, relates to STEM. It's related to coding. And it's also, even if you you don't want to be a coder and you don't want to have um, a very deep understanding of technology and use it at a back-end type sense. You need to be able to understand the language and you need to be able to communicate with people so that you can understand, okay, as a founder, I need this done. How can it be done in that you're not being taken advantage of? Something I found uh, somewhat surprising from the report was that the the, t- the people involved in uh, tech startups in Australia seems to be quite healthy, as in there seems to be quite a, a healthy proportion of people still doing that kind of activity here in Australia versus uh, something overseas, maybe Silicon Valley or uh, some other part of the world. Uh, do you see Australia as a, a fertile ground for this space? I really think we, I do. I, I think that our essence of that whole I want to give it a go just permeates through the Australian startup ecosystem because I mean, startups are as good as the support network around them, and we're still, as a country, quite still developing that that history and that genesis regarding the support for startups. So what we're you know what we're seeing is some really amazing people that are still just going for it and going for it, even though we may have um, a risk-averse culture. And through that persistence and that tenacity, we're finally getting a bit of gravitas. And you know, we've got the national innovation statement that's come out, and and um, we've got we've got more corporate interests, or more corporates are doing um, internal incubators where they're allowing their their employees to pursue other other agendas and and see how that might also then benefit their business. So, um, in places like Silicon Valley or Israel. They've got a they've got a very long-standing history within technology and within understanding startups. While in Australia we have um, a very growing and blossoming startup ecosystem, but we also need to work on the education piece for you know the general general populace that are still you know unaware exactly of what a startup is and and what a startup founder looks like and and what they contribute to society and to economic benefit. I suspect that our cultural heritage has quite a lot to do with that. You mentioned the fact that Australia has a risk-averse culture. And then I see in the report that the motivation for startups seems to be, uh, well, there's a high proportion of people who are dissatisfied with their jobs and they think, all right, well, hang that old, I'm going to go and do a startup. Um, could we be seeing the beginning of a real cultural shift here? I mean, how much, how much further do we have to go? Is it, are we talking 10 years, 20 years, 5 years? You know, I... 
I, you can't really put a time frame on it because, I mean, everyone's talking about how crazy their exponential growth is going to be in, in just um, technology utilization over the next 20 years. Um, I think really when you look at that dissatisfaction thing, it's that people getting kind of no longer satisfied with the answer of that's how we've always done it. <laughs> you know, and that's something that a lot of people say. And whenever you hear that, you go, uh, that's not really an argument for it. And it kind of ties in well with when you look at the age of, of founders as well as their education that potentially they got dissatisfied, dissatisfied with that answer and have gone off and pursued something that might be directly related to some issues or problems that they came up across in, in, their, um, in their previous industries or their previous roles. That is me just hypothesizing, but um, I can understand that completely that something like that would happen. And then the next one was actually um, a fun project had turned into a real um, income generating opportunity. And that excites me because it makes me feel that people are actually pursuing things outside of their nine to five and are looking for, you know, are looking to be flexible in, in how they approach their work-life balance and how they approach how they want to spend the rest of their lives podcast and online. You're listening to Learning Capacity with Colin Klupik. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. There's an interesting correlation, I think. And look, it's a loose correlation. I'm, I'm already hearing the statisticians in the audience wondering what on earth am I talking about. But you look at the, the, the well, I guess it's fairly easy to annoy a statistician. Um, but you look at the, the motivation for people uh, beginning a startup, they're dissatisfied with their jobs. Then I look at the amount, or then I looked through the list of uh, industries that people are exploring startup opportunities in. And I noticed that education was fairly high up on the list. I'm thinking about a press release I wrote, uh, sorry, not that I wrote, but that I read from, that was released by Alt School in, um, based in San Francisco in the US, which which openly stated that the teachers are leaving education in very, very large numbers and that it's almost crisis proportions. Now we're seeing a fairly active involvement of people in the education tech startup space. Is is this a realistic conclusion to draw? I mean, is, is it unusual for education to be targeted as, an, as a popular area? Well, I mean, there there are no international benchmarks um, that we can compare Startup Mustard to. It's quite unique in that sense. But I think, um, and I, I don't I don't particularly understand from a traditional education sense what is going on, apart from the fact that my mom's a teacher. Um, but when I look at what the opportunities are for ed tech or edutech, they're so vast that they just they must be so palatable. Like, you know. It's not. We've got things like um, in online learning or app learning, where you learn a, a subject matter that's that's unique to what you wanted. So Duolingo or Coursera, suddenly you have access to a video that's being filmed at Stanford University about a certain topic, and it's either free or at a very minimal cost of what the kid who's sitting in the audience actually there is having to pay. Um, and so there they found an industry that they were able to shake up and allow to evolve. And, um, you know, when, when I look at what's happening in Australia, we have a lot of startups and um, SMEs that are 
gearing towards um, teaching skills. And what they've discovered is the skills gap that we've got with coding and, and um, digital literacy and things like that. And they're they're helping to um, close that gap because, you know, potentially it takes a little bit longer for um, public education systems to catch up. So you've got Code Club Australia, you've got Coder Factory, Rail, Rails Girls is a, a female-focused um, learning opportunity to learn how to code. So there's all these different, um, you know, there's more and more, there's Code Camp, there's uh, Code Club also, there's so many. Um, to, to help build skills that are going to be useful moving forward, especially if you want to you want to work within the tech space, um, and then you've got you've got startups that are working on things that facilitate and break down some of the issues that you've got with everyday going to school. So you've got carpooling apps, or you've got you've got a um, you know a hardware that's connected to a software that you connect to your school your kids' school uniforms so that if you if they lose their jacket you can figure out where that jacket is. Um, those kind of um, fun solutions to everyday problems. When I look at and this is all mine, it's nothing that I pulled from Startup Master. I just I have to clarify that all these things that I'm mentioning are, are just um, things that I'm coming across within within my circles. But um, one of my favorite um, startups, it's a local Australian startup, is called Sound Scout. And what it does is it tests children's hearing before they go to school. Wow. Because what Sound Scout found out, yeah, is that um, certain learning disabilities are actually related to the fact that children are partially deaf, but their parents haven't noticed it. They just thought they might be a little bit aloof yeah. or they're just lazy and they're not responding. Yeah, it's a common um, problem, actually. Sound yeah, so Sound Scout, and this woman is just the woman that um, has founded it. You know, she's just going from strength to strength, and I think some some regulation changed last year, which is going to help her even further. Um, that's just providing unique solutions to to these problems that can have such monumental benefit to everyone. Um, so I think ed tech is just vital, and everyone's realizing that. There's opportunities outside of a traditional classroom to be able to um, develop your skills and knowledge. I think one of the major benefits that I'm hearing from this is simply the speed at which uh, solutions can be developed. I mean, someone says, oh, okay, I think there's a problem with uh, students being uh, misinterpreted as being uh, aloof, but actually there is a hearing problem. Quick, let's invent something. Let's develop something and then get it, you know, run some tests and, and start implementing. I mean, in the traditional sense, these things used to take years. Yes, and I mean that's the essence and the genesis of a startup is that it has um, large scalable ability and utilizes technology um, within that to capture that market. Um, the ability of a startup to um, build, so we call it the minimal viable product, so that is the bare bones of what you need to be able to go to market and kind of test and validate your idea, that the period to be able to do that is very fast. Um, but then the ability for the, the for the start to really be able to capture and own that market and scale even further is strongly strongly related to the support ecosystem that's around it. So their ability to tap into grants, um, to funding, um, tax tax um, incentives that might work in their favor, their ability to attain talent or to outsource services if they need to. Um, so those factors are monumental in in determining how how quickly a concept can can grow. 
And then also as a startup, you need to have the business acumen to be able to show that as you grow, you're not growing yourself to death or, you know, you're not accidentally, you know, spending your money in the wrong places and those kind of things. Um, so something like um, SoundScout, um, I've been aware of her and, and that app for at least two years. I'm I'm just wondering whether I'm just hearing you talking. I'm just wondering whether we really need to raise the conversation a little bit more or get it out there in terms of what we're actually teaching in schools, uh, curriculum-wise, because the skill set that you're talking about that that I'm imagining would uh, is very different from a traditional school curriculum. I mean, you're you're talking about risk taking. You're talking about entrepreneurship. Um, we we talk, uh, I guess superficially about creativity and imagination in schools but but really what you're talking about is massive creativity and ingenuity on a on a on a, an incredibly committed scale um what's the message that we be, should be sending to our policymakers on education with regards to this well i mean um i think it was it has become pretty clear through the national innovation statement that they're aware that development of um of these skills at an early age um, and the need for them in our current society is, is quite prevalent. Um, I'm hoping that much smarter people than myself are going to make some really good decisions on that front about it. But in the meantime, what we can look for are things like CodeCamp, which um, provides skills to, uh, that teach children how to code um, during school holidays. Or, you know, the Tech Girls movement, which they are really interesting. I came across them at Google's International Women's Day this year. And what they're doing is they've got a series of books out and they're aimed for girls within primary school and high school. And the books are characters that are taking real-life women and girls and putting them in superhero-type um, fictional context. But the, but the overall story that, that, that they're part of is actually their real-life story. And so it's it's trying to engage with girls so that they read these stories and start to understand, oh, okay, yes, this is an option for me. I, I identify with a 12, 12-year-old girl that's in that book and start to develop their interest. And then tech girls, um, tech girls have also partnered with this thing called Technovate. And it's something that they do locally. And they get girls that are at high school and primary school and they take them through the entire process of building a minimal viable product. And then at the end of the, I think it's a 12-week program, the girls do a pitching competition the, and they get awarded various awards. One that wins it overall has the opportunity to go to Technovate International, so that's over in the U.S., and they get to pitch their idea against um, girls from all around the world. And that is really fantastic. And as I'm starting to get to know um more people within within the space. I'm starting to hear more and more about these smatterings of, say, um, high school kids going in and working with universities in in Victoria and and doing an internship and building something there. Um, so there's a there's a movement, at least from a private industry and from a tertiary education point of view, to tapping into what the kids are doing and and trying to get them excited about about you know what they could be doing. Let's imagine that there are some uh, old-timers uh, in terms of their view of uh, an industrial Australia listening in. I'm going to uh, ask something rather controversial. It's a fairly big question, but you know we talk about the, the manufacturing uh, sector and the resources sector tailing off uh, or the sun setting on those two. From your perspective, 
uh, and this may be a biased perspective that you might have, and that's okay. Um, is the tech startup space really a viable option for Australia? Without a doubt. So let's let's focus on like the rural and regional areas for a minute. Um, essentially, in those areas, you've had a very um, single income generating industry that has developed that rural or regional area. Now we're dealing with the fact that that industry might be in decline. But you have all these families and um, support um, areas built up. So you've got your cafes, you've got your supermarkets and all those kind of things. So there is a community there that's going to be suffering. Through startups and through the digitalization of the workforce, we have an opportunity to make sure that these families and communities can maintain where they are with, and, and the, the connections that they've made through um, starting their own businesses and running them virtually through through startups. So we've got um, in Wagga Wagga, Albury, Toowoomba, Mackay, we have this um, really strong development of um, co-working spaces and a facilitation of un making people understand that they can potentially become virtual virtual receptionists or virtual um, assistants. So they don't have to leave their house or their area and their community, but they can become an assistant to someone who is in a local um, urban area. Um, it's, it's allowing people to make choices within their lives that are going to benefit them. And when we look about something like agriculture, um, potentially we're moving away from the idea of the farmer being on the tractor to the farmer being sitting at home with six different screens monitoring how you know the crops are getting watered there and then this is getting picked there and it's all being done through technology and the software and hardware that's being developed now like drones and things like that um, and also from a from an education point of view uh, this is allowing kids that are in rural and regional areas to still have the same advantages as kids in the urban areas. Mm. They can tap into something like Coursera, Khan Academy, Duolingo, and and they can learn what they they want to learn, mm. and they can they can learn how to code. My my co-founder was from a regional area, and he taught himself how to code at the age of seven because he was bored. <laughs> and um, you know, so I think I think we've also seen that through through recent developments that even the most, um, you know, the worst word would be archaic, but it's the only one coming up in my mind, um, industries like finance, it's it's getting, there's an evolution happening there and that's okay because, the uh, you know, the big fours and, and the banks have realized, okay, this is coming, we can't stop it, how can we ride the wave with it? And mm. so that's, that's kind of the mindset that everyone's got to have and it's it's sad that, Maybe things are uh, winding down. Who knows? They might wind up again. But you, you have to be, and I hate using this word, but you have to be um, like agile or fluid in, in your approach and recognize where the opportunities are um, and how best they can help you and your family. So just coming back to the comment you made about your uh, co-founder's boredom <laughs> when he was seven and he taught himself to code, your message then to young people in school might be a bit disillusioned with school or they're about to leave school, don't know what to do. I guess your message is that the future looks bright. Yeah, so I, funnily enough, I, I went to Macquarie Uni yesterday afternoon and that was where I graduated from. And their um, their entrepreneurial society um, was like, oh, can you please speak? And I was like, sure, not a problem. It was really strange being on campus again, but it was really fun. And I decided that the things I was going to talk about was what I wish someone would have told me when I was at university. 
because when I was at university doing finance and economics, um, when I started, it was peachy keen, everything was great, halfway through, global financial crisis hit. So by the time I got out of uni, it was a very different picture to when I started. And I guess my what I was what I was saying to the university students was that they need to own their own future. They can't sit back and rely on the idea of a graduate role, and they can't expect to do the bare minimum um, while at uni because they're in the bubble of uni. They need to start to work on who they want to be and how they want to live their lives now. And so, more of the actionable items that I gave them was the idea of really building up your LinkedIn profile and starting to like, comment, share, and blog about things that are in your world and what you want to be working on, the industries that you're after. Because essentially, these days, every time someone is going to meet with you or you're going to get to, you know, you you meet each other, however, you'll end up Googling them. And so working on developing your professional digital footprint now is really valuable for you as you move on through um, through high school and university. For high school kids, my thing would be, see, at, uni, at high school and at school, I was the kid who um, didn't like to accept the words all because. So it's kind of it's it's like the the school version of oh we've always done it that way, and so I was seen as a slight troublemaker because I would um, I would use critical thinking and a bit of a, a little bit of um, I guess annoying of the teachers because I would ask questions in terms of okay but why do we need to do it like that and and what's that for and um, so my my thing to school kids is. Don't worry if you're not the golden child at school. Um, and if you're not the golden child at school and you're inquisitive and all that, you're probably setting yourself up really well to be an independent person and someone that will create their own future. And honestly, it's just it's honest, it's about persistence. It's about backing yourself and listening to those that you value, taking it on board, but then also listening to your gut make your decisions because you have to live the life that you want to live. Monica, it sounds like a very exciting future. Thanks for your time. Uh, No worries. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Learning Capacity. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And once again, you can comment on this podcast, send your emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.